Thank you, Pastor. Daniel chapter 3 in your Bibles tonight. Daniel chapter 3, I thought since it's a cold, cold night out and with the snow out there that we'd preach on something toasty, so I decided to preach on the fiery furnace in Daniel 3 here. But uh, in all seriousness, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on his word tonight. Father, uh, Lord, you know my heart. I desire to be a help. Lord, in these trying days, Lord, these fiery times when our faith is tested, Lord, help us to stand as we see these three Hebrew children did here in the scriptures tonight. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May your word be a help to us even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past Christmas break, we had a chance to go visit my in-laws. They live in Tennessee. And on the way back, uh, we, I tried to surprise my family, and we stopped in Gatlinburg. Have you been to Gatlinburg? It's a tourist trap, but I love it. It's a fun place. And uh, on the way to Gatlinburg, there's a place there called the Smoky Mountains Knife Works. Anybody ever been to Smoky Mountain Knife Works? I love that place. And uh, boy, if, you know, if you like hunting or you know, like knives especially, of course, uh, it's a great place. And you know what? It's even great for ladies because they have a bottom floor that's got all sorts of stuff ladies can like. So uh, we went there, and I told the kids, hey, you can pick out a knife and get yourself something. And so uh, they went searching through the store and disappeared. And <clears throat> I thought, well, I'm going to try to get me a knife too, you know. And I had told my brother that I was going to be going there. He said, when you get there, call me, and I'm going to tell you where the really good knives are. So I gave him a call and didn't have a good reception. He's trying to tell me I'm talking in the middle of the store. I don't know if you've ever been in a cir- circumstance like that. He's trying to direct me how to get there. And And uh, I'm going, like, to literally the opposite side where he didn't want me to go. I end up finally in this one section of knives that he said, look, these are the best knives for the best price. And the knives that were there were called what are called Damascus steel knives. And uh, I I have my knife that I got here uh, from the store that day. It's a dagger. The boys both got a dagger, a Damascus steel dagger, and I got one. And I'll put a a picture up there so you can see a little bit better. And I don't know if you can notice, it's, it's really, you can always tell a Damascus steel knife because you can see the lines, the swirly lines there on the steel. Now, let me tell you what that is. It's really interesting. This is some of the hardest steel on earth. I'll be careful how much I wave this around, okay? But it's some of the hardest steel on earth, and it's because the way that it's formed is that they take the steel, and they put it in the forge, and they fold it over on itself. And they don't do this just one time. They don't do this just two times. They do this hundreds of times. And they pull it it out after they've folded it over in the fire, and they bang it on on the anvil, and then they put it back in. They fold it over again. And the result is you get these lines here where you can see the steel has been folded over and over and over again. The reason why it's so strong is because it has little to no breaking points on it like a normal knife would have. Now, Damascus steel is really the kind of hardness and trueness that a Christian ought to have. Not having a breaking point. And let me tell you, we need some Christians today who are like this kind of steel. Christians who no matter what fire they go through, they just keep getting stronger and stronger. More and more faithful to God. Christians who don't have, by God's grace, a breaking point. And tonight I want to speak on faithfulness forged in the fire. Faithfulness forged in the fire. And I want us to see three young men who stood faithful for God when faced with the fiery furnace of affliction. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you've probably heard of them maybe better by their Babylonian names, which were Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. Now you know the story. The king of Babylon, uh, probably the ruler of the known world at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, sent out a command through all the nations. It says there are all the nations, all the languages, all the people, the princes, and all the rulers to come, and he had made a statue. Now this wasn't any little old statue. This statue was three score cubits high. They say it was probably about 90 feet high and about nine feet wide. This is a huge statue that he made of himself. Now you talk about a narcissist, someone full of pride. It was King Nebuchadnezzar. But the Lord's going to start working on his heart through these three Hebrew children in this story. And so he called everybody to come and, and he sent out a command and he let everybody know the command that when the music played, that the people were to bow down and worship his statue and worship his gods. And the consequence for anybody that didn't do that was that they would be thrown, as you know, into a fiery furnace. And that's where we pick the story up tonight. Daniel 3 and verse 15. Notice where Nebuchadnezzar says, Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Wow. What a scary statement. Scary both for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their circumstances, but scary for Nebuchadnezzar for such blasphemy against the one true God. Now, what we find here is true faithfulness in this passage. Unwavering faithfulness. And I want you to notice several ways how you can have this type of faithfulness. Notice, first of all, fire forge faithfulness is a faithfulness that has a certain kind of fight about it. Roman numeral number one. It has a certain kind of fight is the blank there. Now, you know, there's a lot of people that are willing to fight for all sorts of things. Um, Monday night, I don't know if anybody even paid attention, but there was a caucus in Iowa. And, of course, you have in a caucus, it's a little different than uh, normal voting for primaries, but the people come to a, a, a gathering, and they fight for their candidate. And they try to convince the other people to vote for their candidate, and there's this debate that goes back and forth. They're fighting for who they think would be the best candidate. You have people that fight for, you know, as activists for certain uh, things that, that uh, they want done or, or they don't want done. Uh, a lot of times, not necessarily good causes, but they fight for these causes. And, you know, recently we've seen the people of Israel who are fighting to protect their country from, from bloodthirsty terrorists. And we pray for the peace in Israel. But I would ask you, how many people are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are fighting for God? Who are standing up for what is right? Now, a person with this kind of faithfulness that we're talking about, I want you to notice, A, is someone who keeps fighting no matter the circumstances is the blank. Who keeps fighting no matter the circumstances. And I think we see this in verse 7 of Daniel chapter 3. Think about the circumstances that they were faced with. It says there, therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, I'm just going to say instruments, so I have to keep repeating this whole thing. Okay, when they heard the sound of the instruments, there they are. Notice, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped. Can you imagine the sea of people there? 
that had come to obey the king's command. He was the ruler of the known world. And he commanded all these people to come. And when the music plays, all of a sudden, in mass unison, you see people bow. But in the middle of the sea of people bowing down to the statue, you see three people stand. But you know what that reminds me of? The fact that they were willing to do right when no one else was doing it. That they were willing to stand when everybody else had compromised. They were faithful to God, and they stood for the Lord. And let me ask you, what is your breaking point? What circumstance in your life would cause you to bow out, to bow down? God wants you to have a faithfulness no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Now, I remember when I was in high school, we had a junior-senior banquet. And so after the junior-senior banquet, typically uh, everybody would go out and go to eat somewhere after the banquet. That's what teenagers do. They go eat again. And so we went to this really fancy restaurant. I think it was over in Reston. And uh, we get in this restaurant. We're waiting for the food, and it's taking a little bit longer. And, and there was this dance room over to the side. And all of a sudden, this raucous worldly music started playing, and, and all these kids that were in my class and the class below me started to get up and head that direction. And I got to tell you, I was a bit shocked. Kids that I thought would never head that direction were influenced by the crowd going over there. And within about a minute, I looked down the table where everybody was seated before, and there was one other girl sitting there, Sally Stoner. She's now Sally Stober. She's a pastor's wife. And consequently, I was the other person still sitting there in the ministry today. But you know what? There's going to be times in our life at work when people aren't doing what's right, in families when people don't decide to do what's right, when we're going to have to take a stand and say, I don't care what the circumstances, I don't care what everybody else is doing. By God's grace, I'm going to be faithful and stand for God. Notice B, it's someone who keeps fighting no matter not just the circumstances, but the consequences. I mean, think about the consequences here in verse 15. And we see at the end of that, King Nebuchadnezzar's talking in this verse. He repeats the command, and then he also repeats the consequence to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's giving them another chance. I'm sure he thought he was being merciful to them in doing this. But he says there, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, I find that last phrase so ironic. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Because when you go into the very next chapter, chapter 4, guess what we find? We find King Nebuchadnezzar in the hand of God. And who would deliver King Nebuchadnezzar? Out of his hand. So we know who's really the powerful one. We know who truly is the judge and who truly allows consequences. But he looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, you guys need to understand what's going to happen if you don't obey what I'm telling you to do. And I love how they responded. They said, King, we're not careful in this matter. There was no compromise in them. There was no sugarcoating uh, their response. Now, I think they were as respectful as they could be, as we should be with authority. 
But when authority is a going against what God has said, then it's better to obey God than man. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 33, we see what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. There was a dream that he had. He was going to lose his kingdom, and he would become like an animal. We see this in verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Hey, let me tell you who's really in control. It's not whoever's threatening you to compromise, but it's the God of heaven who's going to make all things right. And his eyes see the good, those that are being just and standing upright, and his eyes see the bad, those that compromise and are willing to break and bow to the other gods. Now notice, see, this kind of, kind of faithfulness, this kind of fight is someone who keeps fighting no matter the continuances. You see, this wasn't the first time they'd been through a trial. I want you to notice, they'd been tested and retested. And isn't that how something gets hardened and stronger in a fire? When God allows us to go through that test over and over again. I see their test in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, listen, and besieged it. Now there's a lot in that statement. King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. No doubt, these three Hebrew children, along with Daniel, probably lost some loved ones in this battle. Maybe their own mom and dad. And here they were just young people. Kids, they'd lost loved ones. Not only that, but they'd been kidnapped from their homes. Look at verse 3 of Daniel chapter 1. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel. You know what that means? Kidnap them. Take them from their parents. Take them from their home. Take them from their friends. Take them from their school. Take them from everything they were used to. Put, your, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine the test that that was for these young people, to be taken from everything you knew, Everything that was comfortable, off to a foreign land. And then I see that they'd been faced with the temptation of eating the king's meat. So here they get to Babylon, and they're given a test right away along with Daniel. And we see in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now it focuses here on Daniel but it also mentions there that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all four of them did this. All four of them purposed to do what was right. Let me ask you, what is your breaking point? Is it the second time you go through the trial? Is it the fifth time you go through the trial? You know, I think about Miss Pat Arnold, and we had her funeral recently, and I can't remember the number of times Pastor mentioned she had had cancer four times. I, 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 just, I can't even imagine hearing that word a second time, let alone a fourth time. I remember getting Bell's palsy from the tumor that I've got a fifth time, and I can remember what a discouragement that was to me. I remember after Josiah was born without kidneys that functioned, he'd been in the hospital about two months there at the beginning of his life. I remember us driving out to Fairfax Hospital every day, about a 45 minutes, an hour drive out there. I didn't want to see a hospital again. But after he'd gotten his kidney transplant, he was two years old, he had something called aplastic anemia where his body stopped making blood properly. And 
And because of the medicines that he was taking to keep his body from rejecting the kidney, he went through this trial. And, and I just remember walking through that hospital door another time, another test. And I got to tell you, there was a temptation to break. What's your breaking point? So we've seen that a fire forged faithfulness is one that has a certain kind of fight. They fight no matter the circumstances. They fight no matter the consequences. They fight no matter the continuances. However many times you have to go through the trial, they want to be faithful to their God. But notice number two, it's a faithfulness that has a certain kind of faith. It has a certain kind of faith, and we see three things that stand out about this faith in our passage. Notice A, faith that has convictions based on the Scriptures. Faith that has convictions based on Scripture are the blanks. You know, as Christians, we have got to know this book right here. You've got to know and live by what you find cover to cover in this book. It is what will keep you faithful in this life, and it is the only thing. The Bible says that you'll be driven about with every wind of doctrine if you don't get this book in your heart. That you'll fall to sin. You hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against God. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says all scripture, that means every word that's here, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, Unto all good works. That means you can be faithful for God in the fire. You know, it's obvious that these Hebrew children knew God's word. And by the way, young people, they were kids. They were young people. And let me tell you, young people, you need to know why you believe what you believe. It's not going to be good enough because mommy believes something. Or because daddy said something. You need to know why you believe what you believe. And what you believe better be based off of what you study and learn from the Word of God. Now, I hope as parents, we're teaching what the Word of God says. That we're not just giving them commands that come from our mouth, but we're showing them how the commands come from God's Word and the principles of God's Word so that when they leave our house, they have something to stand on in this world that is all over the place. How else would these... Hebrew children know about not eating the king's meat. You think about that? How would they have known that? The answer is they knew God's word. Even at a young age. They knew and had a conviction based on Leviticus chapter 11. Where the command was given. Specifically verse 8. Of their flesh shall you not eat. And their carcasses shall you not touch. They are unclean to you. And Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know their parents, but they at some point had been taught the word of God. They learned the word of God so that they knew what was right and what was wrong. They had convictions based on the scripture. How else would they have known not to drink the king's wine? Now they would have had the book of Proverbs at this point. They're about 400 years after David and Solomon. They would have known Proverbs 23, 31 through 33. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. They knew their Bible and they lived based on the principles they found therein. How else would they have known 
not to bow down to the king's statue or to worship his gods. They knew Exodus chapter number 20. Verses 4 through 5, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. And I want to ask you tonight, I wonder, would you have known what to do because of your knowledge of the word of God as you're faced with different fiery circumstances in your life and different temptations? Do you know the word of God is such that you have principles that are guiding every decision, every action so that you can continue to be faithful for the Lord? Faith that has convictions based on scripture. Notice B, faith that has a fear based on God. Faith that has a fear based on God, not on man. We mentioned this earlier, but notice Daniel 3 and verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, this is the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know why they wouldn't do that? Because they had a God that they feared more. They had a healthy fear of God. Who do you fear more? Man or God? Now i got to be honest. There are times when I go to witness to somebody that I get nervous inside. Anybody else get that way? Anybody else not want to be rejected when you hand somebody a track or when you try to give somebody the gospel? Hey, I'm a human being just like you. I have fears and nervousness just like you. Getting up in front of people? Anybody else get afraid of doing that? Hey, you know what gives you the courage? You know what gives you the bravery to do what's right and be faithful for God? When you fear God more than you fear man. When God is your audience, and he's the one that you're looking to please. Now, someone says, Brother Brandon, how do you reconcile what happened here and them disobeying the order of the king with a verse like Romans 13 and verse 1? Well, let's read Romans 13 and verse 1. It says this, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. God does want us to be obedient to those that are over us, to the governments, to authorities, Parents, pastors, teachers, policemen, uh, presidents, governors, sure. But let's finish that verse. Because it says, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So the people that gave them that authority in the first place was God. And if they're telling you to do something that goes against his authority then we have a clear choice, and that is to obey the authority of God rather than man. We see this lived out in Acts 5 and verse 29. With Peter and the apostles, they were faced with a governmental command to stop preaching the gospel. And listen, folks, I don't know what's coming down the pike. I don't know what kind of commands are coming toward Christians not to do what God has told us to do in his word, but I do know this. Whatever we might be faced with, We have to respond like Peter and the apostles in Acts 5 and verse 29 where they said we ought to obey God rather than man. They had a faith that was based on a fear of God. Notice, see, the way you can have a faithfulness that's forged in the fire is to have a faith that has hope based on heaven. Hey, we've got a great hope, let me tell you, and that's going to help you with your faithfulness. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 if you would. Now, outside of the book of of Daniel, you don't really find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again, with one exception. 
And we find them in the book of Hebrews and chapter 11. Anybody know what Hebrews chapter 11 is? It's the hall of faith. Great Christians that are written about. Christians that were faithful to God. And while their names are not specifically mentioned here, let's read it and let's see if you see them or not. Although their names aren't here, it's crystal clear who the Bible is talking about. We'll start reading in in verse 40. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises. Notice the next one. Stopped the mouths of lions. Who's that talking about? Daniel. And notice the next one after that in verse 34. No names here, but notice what it says. Quenched the violence of fire. Who's that talking about? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In verse 39, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. They had a hope in heaven. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had a faith in God that God could deliver them. They said when they responded to the king, our God can deliver us, but if he doesn't choose to do it, we're still going to be faithful because we have a faith in our God. We have a trust in the hope of heaven. Like all other Christians from the Hall of Faith, these three Hebrew children believed that their gain outweighed their loss. And I want to ask you tonight, Do you live life based on heavenly gain or based on what you might lose here on earth? If it's based on what you might lose on earth, then I want to tell you tonight, there's a breaking point. There's a breaking point. So we've seen fire forged faithfulness has a certain kind of fight. And it has a certain kind of faith, but notice as we conclude, it has a certain kind of friend. A certain kind of friend. Listen, if you're going to be faithful... To the Lord, you need a friend. You need some friends. You know, it was lonely for Abraham. God called him to leave the land of Ur, leave his family, and go to a land that he would show him. And much of his life, all he had really to encourage him was Sarah. Aren't you thankful for a godly wife, a godly spouse, who'll be faithful with you? Praise God for that. I'm so thankful for my wife how faithful she's been through the years. And, you know, they say behind every good guy, and I don't know if I'm that, but there's a good woman. And that's absolutely true. I think about Noah. Noah preached for 100 years. No one accepted the invitation. But can I tell you, Noah wasn't a failure because he had his family. And amongst his family, his wife and his kids, they encouraged each other in the Lord. Aren't you thankful for a godly family? But I got to tell you, as my wife's an encouragement to me, my kids are an encouragement to me. Young people, when you're faithful to the Lord, when you walk and do what's right, you don't know what kind of joy that is to your parents. What a joy to see my kids walk in the faith the Bible talks about. And your example, even in your youth, is an encouragement to others. It's an encouragement to your parents. It's an encouragement to your siblings, your brothers and sisters, to do what's right. Let me tell you, the opposite's true as well. If you decide to not listen to your parents and not listen to the word of God, to have a breaking point in your life and not be faithful, 
you'll affect your brothers and sisters in that too. But I'm so thankful for a godly family. I think about David and how David had Jonathan. What a blessing in lonely times, discouraging times, when someone was trying to take his life. He had a Jonathan there that stood beside him and encouraged him. Now notice the certain kind of friends that faithful people have. A, they are friends with godly friends. Faithful people are friends with godly friends. Everyone needs godly friends. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into this building and had my countenance sharpened by each one of you. Thank God for our church. Thank God for a church family where we can have godly friendships and encourage each other in the Lord. My best friends, I promise you, are right here in this place. I'm looking at them. And I'm so thankful for each one of you and how you sharpen my life spiritually and encourage me to go on and be faithful. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 warns us, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Young people, walk with wise people. Don't choose to walk with fools because the Bible says that says there that a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Find the most godly people that you can and walk with them. I'm not saying that you're not friendly to everyone. We should be friendly with everybody. But there are certain friends that God wants you to have and there's certain friends he doesn't want you to have. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. We can work together. We can serve God together. We can get things done for the Lord together and encourage each other in our faithfulness of service to God. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. And when we mess up because we're not perfect, when we trip, there's a brother or sister there that's ready to help get us up. Thank God for godly friends. And boy, I could go on and on naming people in my life from high school to college to now in my life as I'm, as I'm grown up. Godly friends that have influenced me to be faithful. You know, they were friends with Daniel. What a great friend to have in Daniel. Daniel 2 and verse 49. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. The reason they were in the position that they were in was because of their friend Daniel. And what an encouragement and blessing he had been in their lives. We already spoke of how he helped them through that time and temptation of eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine. But then, number two, they had each other. And I see this in verses 16 through 18. Let's read it again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful, careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Boy, what a blessing that they had each other. The friendship that was really forged in the fire for them. Now notice B, not only were they friends with godly friends, but someone says, Brother Brandon, what about the times in life when you really don't have any friends. And there are times like that. I think about Joseph and how he in the land of Egypt there had to stand for God on his own. But was he really on his own? Absolutely not. Isn't it interesting? And the Bible emphasizes time and time again 
that God was with Joseph. And let me tell you, when you're in a moment where there's no other friends around, there's always a friend around. He's a friend that stick it closer than a brother. And I love this passage, don't you? Daniel 3, verses 24 through 25. Don't miss this. We're almost done. But the Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste. So he takes the, the three Hebrew children. He gets his strongest guard. Says He was furious. He had the fire stoked up even hotter, seven times hotter. And he gets his strongest mate, and he's just angry. He says, Get them. And you take them. You throw them in that fire. I warned them. I told them what would happen. And look at what they've done. Don't they know who I am? They don't have a God who will deliver them out of my hands. And he commands them to throw them in the fire. The Bible says the fire was so hot, the biggest men and strongest men that he could find got close to the fire, and they died because of the fire, but not before they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And we see the result in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men? Bound into the midst of the fire? Then answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, I love this. Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like, can you say it with me? The Son of God. Isn't that awesome? Hey, listen, when you've got to go through a fiery trial and there's no one else to stand there with you, Jesus Christ will stand by your side. He'll be that fourth man in the fire. What would it have been like? I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have known how Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and knew it was the Son of God. I have no clue how, but he knew. He knew it was the Son of God. Maybe it was his glory that was shining. I don't know how he knew. What kind of conversation might they have had there in the middle of the fire with the Lord? I would have loved to have been there. Can I tell you, though, you can have a conversation with the Lord in the middle of your fire. And it can be just as sweet. It can be just as encouraging. So that you'll be faithful through whatever fire you're passing through. Now listen, tonight, if you're not saved, then i got to tell you, you're not a friend of God. The Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. But he offers his friendship to you tonight. In Revelation 3 and verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He stands at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And he says, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. If you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes, you're an enemy of God, but Jesus Christ wants to make you a friend of God. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to come in. He wants you to put your faith in him and what he did on the cross for you to wash your sins away so that he can be your savior. He can be your path to God and to heaven. If you've never made him your friend, what a great night it would be to make him your friend tonight. But let me tell you, he's a friend that's sticking close to a brother, Proverbs 18 and verse 24. He's a friend that's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and what we're going through, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He's the friend that will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 24, 23 and verse 4, excuse me. He's the friend that will take you home to a place that he's prepared so that you can be with him for all eternity, John 14, 2 through 3. Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have. 
Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. And he'll be yours too. Through whatever fire you have to go through. Let's pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We talked about faithfulness forged in the fire. Do you have that kind of faithfulness tonight? As the pianist comes and gets ready to play for the invitation, let me remind you, it's a faithfulness that has a certain kind of fight. No matter the circumstances, consequences, or continuances, maybe you need to come and ask the Lord to help, to help you keep fighting. It's a faithfulness that has a certain kind of faith, and it's based on Bible convictions and a fear of God and a heavenly hope. Have you lost any of those? Do you find yourself with a strong faith tonight, or are you at a breaking point? It's a faithfulness that has a certain kind of friend, godly friends. And if you don't have many of those young people, ask God to give you some. And if you find yourself alone in this life ever, then you've got a friend that stick it closer than a brother in Jesus Christ. Now tonight, if you're here and you've never received him, he can be your friend. And when this Music begins to play. If you're here and you've never been saved, you can come forward and pastor will take a Bible and show you how Jesus Christ can be the best friend you'll ever have. But tonight, if God's spoken to your heart in one of these areas, as the piano begins to play, won't you come?